0: Um okay. Uh today's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter one, verses one through four, as well as First Timothy chapter six verses twenty to twenty-one. Um this is chap this is don't worry about it is how much as many have undertaken to a compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having followed all things ac- closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most ec- excellent Theopius, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you, may, you have been taught." Uh, First Timothy. Mm-hmm. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning everyone. It's always a pleasure of mine to be able to preach to our um, uh, English ministry and to the adults and and uh, to my youth kids. Uh, I just want to apologize, apologize ahead of time for you guys. It, it may be a little boring today. Um, the last time I preached, uh, I, I preached on whether Jesus was real and so we had to get a little bit academic we had to get a little bit historical and today uh, the question that i'm tackling is why aren't um other books of the bible i mean other books about jesus in the bible and again uh for my you know youth guys you know I'm, i'm gonna get a little bit historical a little bit technical and so i apologize to you guys but i promise you when you get to college this is like very relevant okay when you get to college it's very relevant all right um if you grew up in the church you probably didn't give it much thought on how the Bible was assembled, right? For the most part, it's just something that's always been there, right? As if God just kind of plopped it into our laps, okay? Um, and we've used it ever since. Or at least, you know, that's how, you know, growing up in, you know, I grew up inside the church, and that's how I used to always think of it, right? That, you know, some, somehow God just gave us this book. Someone found it, and like, all right, here you go, guys, right? And, um, you know, and, and, and as little kids, you know, we, we just assumed that we, we just assumed this thing was there. Right? But what if I told you that aside from the four gospels in the New Testament right, that talk about Jesus, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what if I told you that there were other gospels about Jesus during the time of the early church? It would then present an interesting question of why some of these books or letters okay, didn't make it into the Bible? And quite possibly, um, it can even lay a seed of doubt on whether the Bible, and especially the New Testament, uh, would it be considered a reliable source of knowing God. Right? Um, in college, all right, um, if you ever took a comparative religious studies course, or ever took any religious studies course on Christianity, oftentimes this topic comes up about the formation of the New Testament, especially the New Testament, right? Um, and what you f- hear um, is that in early Christianity, there were a bunch of letters, there were a bunch of gospels about Jesus that never made it into the Bible. And when I was attending college, uh, this was actually a really big deal, okay? Because it happened that in 2006, uh, the National Geographic magazine announced that they had discovered a text called The Gospel of Judas. And if you guys ever, some of you guys, I know for my high schoolers, they're like, what are you talking about? Um, if you went to college, when I went to college, like around like 2004, three to like 2007, there was a really popular book at the time called The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. Some of you guys know? Yes, right? And what was The Da Vinci Code about? It was about, um, it was a fiction about um, a guy, a historian, you know, finding out that Christianity had this big conspiracy. Right? And, and the basic premise was that Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene and he had a baby. And he was trying to find, and over the centuries, you know, the church was hiding that fact. And he was trying to find the descendant of Jesus. Okay. Um, and in that fiction, you know, Dan Brown weaved in some of these other, we call ap- apocryphal books. Like the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas. Okay. And so um, in certain modern, you know, scholarship, there is a notion that in the early church, right, that there were more than 27 books of the New Testament circulating in the church and that these other, what we call now apocryphal books, or apocryphal basically means uh, books that uh, its um, authors are doubted, okay, right? They were once a prevalent part of Christian teaching, right? Books like The Gospel of Thomas, books like Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Peter, Epistle of Barnabas. Um, and some modern scholars have argued that because there's such so many different books out there about Jesus and about Christianity in early Christianity, um, that they believe that there were multiple strains and interpretations of Christianity itself. And that somewhere around the fourth century AD, Okay, which is like 300, in the 300s, um, or at least when the emperor Constantine became a Christian, one dominant view of Christianity squashed all the other views, right? including those apocryphal books due to some sort of council meeting with high-power Christian leaders and pastors. So they got to decide what books got to be in the Bible and what didn't make it. And with that, certain interpretations and strains... Okay, We're snuffed out, and what we currently have, our version of Christianity now, is what we have today. right? Now, if this were true, this would cause a huge problem, actually. It would actually put very much in doubt our understanding of Jesus, our understanding of Christianity. Right? If early on, even within the 100 years, and last time I preached, I said that um, Jesus is real because legends take more than 100 years to develop. Okay? Uh, but if early on, within 100 years, there's, there isn't a consensus about who Jesus is, that even Christians couldn't agree upon who Jesus is, and there are competing gospels, that causes a big problem for us. It means that our faith is, doesn't have solid foundations. Okay? So in college, I, you know, I learned about this stuff, and you know, I started to question, okay, what? Is, is this really true? You know, it have, has everything I grew up on, you know, been false? Because then I can't even rely on this. So what do we do with something like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas that are so different from the four Gospels that are in the Bible? Why weren't those books chosen to be a part of canon? So today, you know, what I, what I, what I hope to achieve here is to kind of peel back how we got our New Testament. And as um, Luke says, right, you know, he, he, wrote, he wrote the book of Luke's in an Oriel account so that Theophilus, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Um, same thing in Timothy, right? So you have certainty in what you believe in. And today what I hope to do is that by giving you, kind of pulling back the history of how our, we got our New Testament, you have a certainty, right, and the reliability of our scripture. That this is true, right? Um, and so, certain criteria needs to be met, okay? So, how do, we, how do they come to the New Testament? Actually, first, let me just say, no one ever doubts the Old Testament, okay? In modern scholarship, no one really ever talks about the Old Testament stuff. Most of the scholarship deals with, you know, the popular scholarship, at least, deals with New Testament writings, okay? And, um, when we think about how this book was formed, especially the all 27 books, okay, there, is, there are common criteria and common threads that bind them all, okay. Number one, um, the books of the New Testament have some connection to the apostles, okay. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have connections to the original disciples of Jesus and or to Paul, okay. Um, Matthew, um, As we know from Eusebius, who is a Christian historian, who basically, I mean, if you read it, he he basically lays out like the history of the early church, right? Attributes, and other scholars have attribute uh, Matthew as one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Mark is not written, or Mark was not a disciple, but Mark was an um, acquaintance, uh, followed actually Peter. So Mark's account comes from Peter, right? The Apostle Peter. Uh, John is John, one of the, the beloved disciple, and Luke is written by, he's basically a historian and physician who traveled with, with Paul on his missionary journeys, and so he actually has contacts with all the other disciples, okay? Um, and then the rest of our letters, okay, first Timothy, Ephesians, Romans, are written, majority of our letters are written by Paul, who is an apostle, um, and Peter and John, and so on and so forth. So, all the letters and books that we have in the New Testament have an association with an apostle, right? And the early church valued apostolic teaching, and they considered it was sacred, all right? And Peter even references in, even in his own letters, Paul, okay? He references and says, oh, yes, and even Paul's letters, right, we consider that scripture. So even early on, right, the church, right, even in its infancy, Understood that if it's from, if it's from an apostle, right, it was sacred. And when we say sacred, what do we mean by sacred and what we mean by canon is basically books and, scr- and letters that are considered um, uh, use for church, okay? Read aloud and used for the public worship inside church, okay? So apostolic, you know, if it was from an apostle, it was considered sacred, okay? Um, it's so valued, right, it's in the church it was so valued that many of these other writings, okay, like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Pe- or Peter or the Gospel of Judas, okay, they try to pass them off. That's why they t- they're titled Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Peter, right? These other writings were actually, you know, attributed to these, to these apostles so that it could try to gain, gain traction. Modern scholarship has basically concluded that none of these were written. Like Thomas, Peter, Judas were not written by those three. Okay, but if you're an author and you're trying to, you know, make some money or have your writings get popular in the church, you know what you did? Oh, maybe I'll just say this is from Peter. Right. So they, they try to kind of just fool people into believing it. All right. So that's one big criteria, right? Um, also, the 27 books of the New Testament are our earliest Christian writings that we have. All 27 books are written, written within the first century. Okay, um, all of them at least by by 100 AD. Okay, Jesus died in 33. That's at least right. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm really tired this morning, so bear with me. I played volleyball last yesterday. I'm just like exhausted. Uh, 60, 66 years, right? Um, so all within that, okay, um, and if you look at the apocryphal writings, modern scholarship has, has concluded that most of those, actually, yeah, almost 100% of those are placed second century or later, right, post 100 AD or later, okay, and so you're talking about a huge time difference, okay, um where the apocryphal writings then you know, are well past the deaths of the original 12 disciples usually. Okay. Uh, some other things. Um, one other thing, uh, as far as the four gospels are considered, the four gospels, um, actually there was consensus uh, that the four gospels were considered canon, right? that these, were, these would be considered scripture by the end of the second century, right? Um, Eusebius and some other historians have uh, come to understand that um, it wasn't actually in a council meeting, okay? It wasn't Constantine, right, some emperor um, that that basically decided, okay, these books get in, these books get in. It's actually very early on, right, that this tradition was upheld in the church. To give you an example, uh, Irenaeus, who lived in the, um, like, 100, like, mid hundred. uh Mid-hundreds, okay? Uh, in, in 180 AD, he actually speaks of four gospels, okay? He, t- he mentions them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that those were good for scripture, to encourage the church, okay? But he wasn't alone. A lot of, a lot of um, scholars tend to discount him, saying, oh, you know, he was like the only one that said this, so he was like a pioneer, and then afterwards, you know, people just kinda you know latched onto him and said, okay, now we have canon. Actually, he isn't the only one during his time that purports this consensus. Clement, who was a um, who was a bishop um, in the early church, okay, cites the gospels, okay, and uses the gospels, uh, writes about the gospels. He's actually he even writes verses out, right, and sent and, and speaks to them to you know to the people that he's writing letters to. Uh, Justin Martyr also cites the gospel in his writings. Um, there's even a fragment that we found called the Muratorian Fragment, uh, which has 22 of the 27 NT books used as scripture for the church. Okay, There's a guy named Tatian, all right, who decided to uh, create a gospel harmony. A gospel harmony is basically, you know, there are these four gospels and he tried to kind of harmonize it into one book. Okay, now the question, then becomes, where would he get this idea to harmonize these four Gospels unless there's already a tradition in place that has been passed down from generation to generation of the early church that these are the important texts about Jesus. Right? Why not include some of these other Gospels floating around? Okay. We could even go on. Um, like I said, sorry about the history lesson, but you know, it, this grounds us. Right, that our faith isn't just based on like some random person, right, who had this these weird ideas. Okay, uh, Papias, he was a, a elder of the church of the early church, and he's interesting because Papias is a contemporary of a guy named Polycarp. Okay, interesting name, right? Um, who was a disciple of John himself. Right, so if we're playing the game of seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, for those of us who are old enough to know Kevin Bacon right? Um, That's two degrees within Jesus, to Jesus, right? Papias is two degrees, two relationships to Jesus. And even Papias discusses the Gospels, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, right? Now, if there is already multiple people in various different churches throughout the Roman Empire, who are talking about these four Gospels, um, I think logic concludes then that the consensus for the four Gospels to be a part of canon did not happen in 400 AD during the Council of Nicaea or when Emperor Constantine you know, became a Christian, but this was a early tradition since basically the beginning, right? That the church had already understood that these four Gospels that we have accurately portray who Jesus is and his teachings. Okay. So this refutes that church leaders later on chose from a, you know, and so the idea is that, you know, so some people have this, in in, in, this, in the um, scholastic world, you know, there's this idea that there was this wild, wild west, okay, of different beliefs about Jesus and different interpretations and different variations of Christianity and you know you got to pick and choose right and then just one person you know the emperor or this council just said just cut out everything right it, this totally refutes that no there was one tradition even from the very beginning right and that was that tradition was solidified very early over a very short period of time Okay, so the traditions of Jesus and the orthodoxy, right, was established early. These other gospel interpretations, right, then were that came soon afterwards, okay, were not part of the tradition. Um, they weren't even popular, right, but a minority position, okay, and even wrong teachings about Jesus. This would be the equivalent of, um, you know, we have these modern day things happen now, right? Um, the Branch Davidians okay, Waco, Texas, okay. Um, We had those cults um, in Brazil years ago, Jim Jones, okay. That's what the equivalent of these other documents are, these other strains. Not that they were from, you know, from Orthodox Christianity, but these were offshoots, right, heresies, okay. Um, And the last thing, okay, um, that we know that, that these other gospels are not, are not from the are not of the Bible, um, and this is the um, argument that theologians make: is that Scripture has a self-attestation, okay? Or in other words, um, they are self-authenticating. So when you compare some of these other gospels to Scripture itself, they just don't pass the mustard, okay? Um, if you read the gospel, if you read some of these gospels. Right, you realize there's something kind of off about them. So I actually did that legwork. I read the Gospel of Thomas. I read the Gospel of Judas. I read the Gospel of Peter. I wish I could get, like, two hours of my life back, <laughs> right? But here, I'll show you. Gospel of Thomas, okay, this is from, so the Gospel of Thomas, it doesn't even read like a normal gospel. It's just 114 different sayings of Jesus, okay? They read more like a wisdom book. This is what it says. Shimon Kepha said to them, this is from saying 114, Miriam should leave us. Females are not worthy of life. Yeshua, Jesus said, look, I shall guide her to make her male. So she too may become a living spirit resembling your ma- you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, when you look at the Gospels, right, even though there is a diversity in the Gospels, not all, all four Gospels are different, but there is, a, there is the same spirit, so to speak. When you read it, there is similarities that you can say, that's a Gospel. You start reading this and you're like, huh, okay, there's something completely off about this. I don't know anywhere else, not only in the Gospels, but if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, you don't see anywhere else where women and females are debased like this. I mean, this—I us oh, just put it this way. Scripture interprets Scripture. If this was part of Scripture, this would go totally antithesis against Genesis 1. That God created male and female. Female, female and male, he created them, right? And they are equal. This basically says that female are inferior and somehow Jesus is gonna make them females into male and then they'll get into the kingdom of heaven. All right? but we can go on. Let's go to uh, the Gospel of Peter. Next one. Or not, I mean, yeah, Peter. Is it, no? William, is there one more? Oh, here we go. So this is not Gospel of Thomas, this is Gospel of Peter. Sorry for the title. Um, This is as soon after um, after Jesus is resurrected, okay? And so, let me just read, um, starting from this verse 37. But that stone, which had been thrust against the door, having rolled by itself, went a distance off the side, and the sepulchre opened, okay, the grave, and both the young men entered, and so those soldiers, having seen, awakened the centurion and the elders, for they too were present safeguarding. And while they were relating what they had seen, again, they see three males who have come out from from the, from the sep- sepulchre, with the two supporting the other one, and a cross following them, okay, so a living cross is following them, and the head of the two reaching unto heaven, okay, but that of the one being led out by a hand by them going beyond the heavens, that's Jesus. So he's coming out of the tomb, he's along with two other people, and they're giants to the point where they're in, they're, their heads are in the clouds, and Jesus is so tall that he reaches heaven. Okay. Um and they were hearing a voice from the heavens saying, Have you made proclamation to the fallen asleep? And then and then obeisance was heard from the cross. So the cross spoke back, yes. Okay. So in the Gospel of Peter, you have a Jesus who is literally a giant, okay, reaching to the heavens, and a cross that seems to walk next to it and knows how to talk. Now, I don't know about you guys, um, but when I look at that, I just think, okay, this is kind of crazy, all right? This, in no way does it sound similar, nor have similar teachings to any of the New Testament writings. And actually, if you look at the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas and the Gospel of Peter, um, most have concluded that these are considered Gnostic Gospels. In other words, um, there was, as Christianity, so here's a little history, as Christianity was rising, right, and as the church was being built up, um, there were false teachers who were coming alongside, trying to co op Christianity, right, um, and teach a variation of Christianity that wasn't really Christianity. Right? Um, and what Gnosticism, and they call it Gnosticism, what Gnosticism really you know, hammered was secret knowledge. And that's why in that First Timothy passage I gave you today, um, let me just read it real quick. Yeah, come on, okay. O Timothy, guard the t- deposit and trust it to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called, and it's in quotation marks, knowledge for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And so in Gnosticism, what what you've effectively had were these teachers trying to say that, oh, there's a secret knowledge. See, this Bible, that's not enough. You need a secret knowledge, and only people with secret knowledge are real believers. Basically, you have to be part of the club, right? And you have to have the secret handshake to be a part of the club, and know the secret handshake to be a part of the club. But we know that what? True Christianity is not about secret knowledge. Our knowledge is public. I mean, shoot, Matthew 28 says what? Jesus tells, tells you know, his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Not to make some secret little club. right? And so, you know, this is where these documents come from, right? This kind of bastardized, Strain of Christianity, um, I wouldn't even call it Christianity. Um, and now, some people might argue and say, "Well, how can you let Scripture interpret Scripture?" Right? Sounds like a circular argument. That you know, the Bible is self self-attest- is self attesting, right? Self authenticating, right? Um, but I look at it this way: um, if the Bible is our authority, if God's if God is our authority and he speaks through scripture, then scripture is our first principle. It is the basis on which we understand and know God. Then we have to use it. You know, it's like arguing this, okay, if we're gonna have an argument, okay, a debate, okay, most of the time we're going to use logic, right? We assume logic in our debates to win the argument. Right? It's basically saying, oh, but we can't use logic to use our debates. To some degree, everything has circularity. Like, I'll give you this example. What we have here is a bottle, right? You, you, maybe if you take philosophy, you, you, your philosophy, philosophy professor has done this. How do you know that this bottle is here? How do you know that this bottle exists? You're probably like, duh, it's a bottle. It's right in front of my eyes, right? But that means you are, what, assuming that your sensory perceptions are a valid use of understanding and knowing that this bottle exists. So unless we're willing to say that, no, my my perceptions and my senses are not good enough, then this bottle may not exist. But then that would be utterly illogical and we would just go around and round in a circle. This is why we say that scripture has a self-authenticating um, value, right? If the only way we can know God is through scripture, then we have to use scripture as our authority. And then so we use, so then we, we will test all other scriptures, all other gospels, all other documents over and against the Bible, all right? Almost done, guys. Um, so that is actually how we've come to form canon. Right? So it was tradition, self-authenticating uh, of, of scripture, right? and that the tradition was set early on. And so by the time like the 400s came around, if there, if there ever was a need for a council to determine scripture, Everyone, there wasn't like this big fight over like, oh, this one's right, this one's wrong. It was basically like, oh, well, let's just double check. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, 1st 2nd Corinthians. Oh, yeah. Everyone in agreement? All the church in agreement? Yeah, we've been using that for the last 300 years. Oh, okay. Well, all right then, that's our canon. Right. This is why these other books are not, a part of the Bible. They just don't meet the criteria.
0: Right?
1: Now, some of you folks are um, into this kind of stuff, and you know, you may have heard that so, well, some of our New Testament writings were disputed amongst the churches. Right? I, I heard that you know the book of Jude is disputed, that second and third John are disputed, and some of these smaller books were disputed. And yes, they were. So doesn't that mean then we can't. We can't trust the Bible because even the churches didn't agree? Well, I would push back and say, but the core of the canon, right? If we were to go back to that fragment, Muratorian fragment, tw- you know, 22 out of the 27 books were already established. The core of the canon was already there, right? Um, all this shows us is that the boundaries of canon were still fuzzy in the earliest centuries of Christianity. And it just had to take a while for the church to reach a full consensus about all 27 books. Right? Um, that shows us then, and I actually, I, I actually think that's, that's really good. That actually gives me peace of mind, you know why? Because that means that the canon was not dropped from heaven on golden tablets, okay? But that it took the normal process of history to establish them, okay? And those t- processes aren't always neat and tidy, right? Um, it shows, to me it shows that God grounds scripture to the normal process of history. I'd actually have more trouble believing scripture were true if someone claimed that scripture just came down from heaven in my hand and now you believe it. You know what, you know who, you know who essentially makes that claim? Yeah. The Book of Mormon is essentially how, is how that came to be. That Joseph Smith, now I'm not dogging on all Mormons Okay, But we're talking about classic, classical Mormonism. Okay, Classical Mormonism. Basically, Joseph Smith said that he received a vision from an angel to go out into the woods in New York and dig up golden tablets that the Lord had laid for him. And that's how we got the Book of Mormon. If it's so nice and tidy, I'm telling you, I'm way more skeptical of that than a messy natural process. Okay. Um, okay, so then what do we do with these rejected books? Okay, some of us, you know, um, I grew up in a time when, like, you know, if, if, if anything was, like, controversial or whatever, it's like, you shouldn't read it. It goes against God. Be scared. All right? Uh, I remember that with, like, you know, when, when we used to have music CDs back in the day, right? You would buy something, and someone would tell me something like, you know, fundamentalist Christian would be like, ooh, that's, that you should have listened to that. If you listen to those lyrics backwards, it's like Satanism. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I got to just like throw it all away. I think I remember I took one CD and I just shoved it in, in, a, in, a, in a closet for like 15 years. <laughs> okay. But let me just tell you. Um, so what do we do with these things? These books that didn't make into the Bible? Well, you don't have to be afraid of them. Kay? You don't have to be afraid of them. Some of these apocryphal books um, are equivalent to modern Christian books that we read. There's one called the Didache, right? Um, and it, it's kind of like a how to be a Christian uh, self guide book, right? Um, and it's actually the Didache, just yes, fun fact um, you know how the church is pro life? The Didache is actually one of the earliest. Um, written documents that t- show how christians um, really were pro-life in the roman empire when 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 people were throwing away babes and they would talk about how we need to save them okay um, this would be the equivalent equivalent of the DDK would be the equivalent of something like reading c.s lewis okay like mere christianity you know helps our spiritual formation but we know that what c.s lewis and his books are not Scripture. It's not like I'm going to come here and say, "All right, today we're reading Mere Christianity, chapter five, on um, pride." Okay, we're not going to do that. It's not scripture, but it's helpful for our Christian life. And so there are books, there are apocryphal books that are like that. Okay, um, Clement of Alexandria, one of the bishops, he even references some of these books in his homilies or in his in his um, uh, sermons. Right, they can be helpful. Okay. Others are more false versions of the historic faith like the Gospel of Thomas that we read, okay? But you know what, don't be as- I would say don't be afraid of them. You know why? Because it's good to be aware and understand where those books are coming from. And it sharpens us to understand what is true and not true. Right? Um, and you know what, this happens all the time anyways. If we are always so afraid of these other books, that go against the Bible, okay? How can we effectively minister to those who are under sway? Right? You know, we have to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses. We have to deal with Mormonism. We will have to deal with people who believe in other weird offshoots of Christianity. And they're going to, look, they're just going to keep popping up. Nothing new under the sun. Right? Um, And if and if we can't engage their scriptures and their important documents, right, then we can't engage them. So I would say don't be afraid, right? Um, you know, but if you're one who's lacking in, you know, your Bible knowledge, you know, as I was when I was younger, you know, then, I, then I would say, you know, maybe you can go over it with a more seasoned Christian right, to walk alongside you. Maybe a Pastor Yang, a Su me, or, or any of our older you know, Christian brothers and sisters. Right? Um, but we do need to engage.
0: Right?
1: Um, but overall, okay, what I hope you come away understanding is that the Christian faith we believe and trust in is actually grounded in history, in a firm foundation. There was no conspiracy theory to control the Christian narrative or Christ's narrative to try to manipulate us. Our New Testament scripture, essentially, because we can trust it, it, is God's revelation to us in the person of Jesus. And you know what that means? Then we can actually meet the real Jesus because the Gospels we have the letters of Paul's that we have are reliable. And as Luke tells Theophilus, so that you have certainty over the things that you have been taught. But also certainty, I like to add, but also certain that in and through Scripture you encounter the living God. Right. And I just hope, um, For those who have been, you know, where their faith has been shaking, that you know that Scripture has a firm foundation. And those who are on the fence, maybe it'll start to open up more questions about Christianity and who this Jesus is as given to us, faithfully, from generation to generation, till now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, um, Lord. I know it got technical, and I know that you know some of this stuff is not the most fun and exciting and um, stuff to know. But you know, I pray that, especially for our youth, Lord, that. Um, that they would have this piece of knowledge, um, in one sense, this furniture, so that when it comes time, that when they do learn, you know, um, some of the conflicting uh, reports about Christianity, that that this would ground them. And um, you know, for all of us, though, Lord, um, may it help us remember that even in the midst, you know, we're, we're, we live in a time, oh Lord, where, Christianity is being um, called out on. It's not popular, right? Uh, From the popular fields to the academic fields, and sometimes we feel like we're under siege, but Lord, help us to know that even in 2,000 years, even when there were controversies in the early church, Lord, your word remained. Um, And so we trust in a big God a loving God who sent his son down into history to show us your truth and your love. And so we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.